ma chère mademoiselle, it is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that we welcome you tonight. And now, we invite you to relax, let us pull up a chair, as the dining room proudly presents your dinner. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Tie your napkin around your neck, sherry, and we provide... Hello, and welcome back to Callum and David's Any Requests podcast. This is, of course, our weekly podcast where you, the listener, can donate £5 a month via Patreon and get us to do a podcast on absolutely anything you want. That is entirely correct. Once again, David, you never fail. Uh, occasionally you fail mm. on that introduction. Um, here we are again, and this time with a podcast request that is not about music. No. Uh, it's not about a film. No. It's not about a book or any kind of form of art. It no. is all about our imaginations. It is indeed. So this week, uh, we are back once again uh, with my lovely sister, who has asked us to do something really fun, which is basically talk about our kind of fictional dinner party that we would have. It's it's, it's one of those old kind of uh, dinner party conversations, really, isn't yeah. it? Um, who, who's your ideal dinner party guest list, living or dead, anyone? Which I always find quite interesting, that you only have that conversation at dinner parties <laughs> yeah. with real people. Like, yeah. So, who's, uh, more interesting? who's more interesting than you? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's quite an insulting premise, isn't it? I mean, obviously, you know, we're here because you don't have any better friends. But if you yeah. did, if you could, who, who would, would you really be? like? Yeah, that's a really good yeah. point. Um, have you got any obvious ones that um, that people, I, people always say, without, for every time I've had this conversation, someone always says Stephen Fry. Yeah. Always comes up. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think like the big, the big kind of <laughs> this is so reductive. I was gonna say, oh, like the big peace people, like Gandhi and Martin Luther King, like <laughs> yeah. oh, the peace people, the peace people, but, like yeah, obviously like people that have been hugely influential, <laughs> the peace um, people, yeah, and kind of yeah, progression of society and things like that often often come up. I think yeah, um, or uh, like Diana is always mm-hmm. a popular one. Like mm-hmm. figures that have become like icons. Diana Ross. Um, Diana Ross, definitely. Yeah, that's who I was referring to. Yeah. Um, Lady Diana Ross. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but we, I think hopefully, um, I'm assuming those aren't on your list. Um, and then they're not on mine um, because we. I was thinking making this list was quite difficult, especially with the guests, mm-hmm. with regards to like. Am I making a list that everyone in the world, like, am I making their ideal dinner party guest yeah. list? In which case, all those kind of obvious kind of common ones come up. And then, you know, looking back at Lara's request, thinking, actually, no, this is about who I would like. And obviously, you're at the dinner party as well, and you're going to invite some guests. So who would yeah. we personally like? So this podcast really isn't for you, listeners. It's no. entirely um, for it, us. Is it ever? I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, um, we make this for us. We make, no, we make no bones about that. But yeah, I think that's a really um, valid point. And, and I, I certainly approached it in a similar way. Um, maybe even kind of less about who... I like love like personal heroes of mine or something and more people throughout history or in the present day who I would love the opportunity to talk to and yeah. uh, so whether they might be slightly kind of enigmatic people or people that have been responsible for really big th- things that I'm interested in rather than actually like people who I like love but actually probably know quite a lot about and could kind of guess what they'd be like at dinner mm. like 
because I remember like talking to friends and family about this particular podcast when um, when Laura uh, uh, requested it a few weeks ago, and people kind of saying, "Oh, you're going to choose like The Rock, aren't you?" Because he was your favorite wrestler as a kid, and I was like, "Yeah, but he's also very like culturally like pervasive on every channel, and I kind of know a lot about The Rock, and I kind of know what he'd be like. Um, yeah. he'd be lovely and awesome because he seems like an incredible man, but but I I don't quite." I think I'd run out of questions pretty quickly because I'm like, well, I, I kind of know you and I've read his autobiography when I was a kid and things like that. So it's like, I know a lot about that person anyway. So, but there are people that I think that are out there who there's not very much known about that I would love to explore. That's kind of, yeah, how I've curated my list. Um, but also the other really fun thing about this request is it's not just the people. Lara has asked us to think about the seating arrangements, what entertainment we'd have, what food we'd serve as well. So mm-hmm. we're going to kind of be putting together the whole event over the course of this podcast. Which, which is, really is going to be, fun. yeah, really interesting. I think you're going to be really good at this because you're quite good, like party planner. Oh, yeah. You know, you're, 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 you take pleasure in organising those kind of things. Love a party. Whereas I kind of never know if I'm going to turn up to a party until 10 minutes before mm-hmm. and even if that's my own party that I'm yeah. hosting like I'm not like I'm not very good at the whole thinking in advance so I'll, I'll kind of defer to you a bit on that but I think it's it's going to be quite interesting I think yeah. we'll probably agree on lots of things probably have a couple of disagreements um yeah and the other interesting thing about the guests also was that um uh, they can be living or dead um, so yeah. it doesn't have to be people who were just alive today which made that even harder when I thought about that I was like oh yeah. and the other thing is that there are lots of people I'm reading about at the moment who are in my mind because of a specific thing. Like yeah. I'm, I'm doing a show set in 1872 at the moment about Victoria Woodhull. I think, well, that would be fascinating. Mm. Like, but only because I'm currently involved in that. Trying to think of it more kind of with a broader spectrum yeah. um, threw up some some loads of options. I, 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 th- I think that's one of the things about this kind of uh, game though, isn't it? That, that it's probably always changing. And if we were to do this podcast again in a year's time, it'd probably be a completely different list of eight people. But yeah. um, So I think that's, that's true um, uh, of anyone when they kind of do this list. It is often people that are at the forefront of your mind because of what you're kind of doing at the moment in your own life. True. Okay then, so shall we kind of move through the guests yeah. and then move through the th- seating th- arrangements th- and th- then argue about dinner? I think that's a good idea, yeah. Shall we take it in turns and yeah. uh, reveal reveal who's coming to dinner? Do you want to go first? Guess who's coming to dinner. Guess who's coming to dinner. Oh, I should have invited Sidney Poitier. You should have oh, done. Oh, that would have been brilliant. But, so you could say that. I mean, I bet he got that a lot. Yeah, to be honest. That's, that's probably true. Um, um, no, so yeah. So my first guest is... Someone that has been in the background of my life um, since I was in my early teens uh, and has been a constant uh, in my life uh, from that point onwards. And that is the chairman of World Wrestling Entertainment, Vince McMahon. Vincent Mac. Kennedy McMahon. Very good. Um, And yes, so for those of you who don't know, um, Did he... not know his middle name was Kennedy. Maybe yeah. laugh quite a lot. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Vince McMahon is uh, the owner and chairman of World Wrestling Entertainment, formerly the World Wrestling Federation, which is, of course, the biggest professional wrestling company on the planet. Um, and uh, as you may have picked up on from previous podcasts where we've uh, let this slip, Callum and I are big pro wrestling fans. <laughs> um, and so... When I was thinking about things that 
in my life that are a big part of my life that I enjoy. Obviously, pro wrestling's a massive one. Weirdly, it's been part of my life kind of longer than theatre has, which is my biggest love uh, and my career. Um, so it's weird that Red Pro Wrestling has kind of underpinned so much of my life um, and has been a real constant there. And so <clears throat> who better to ask than kind of the guy that's been sort of behind it all since the mid 80s. So pro wrestling in America itself actually has been in the McMahon family since kind of the very early 20th century um, when it was still kind of emanating from circus sideshows. It was uh, kind of um, uh, created in, in a big part uh, by Jess McMahon, Vince McMahon's grandfather, who kind of took it out of the sideshow and created this kind of territory system, created the first kind of territory in in Northeast um, uh, America, so kind of New England and New York. Um, and then other territories kind of popped up and each kind of little bit of America had their own kind of touring circuit locally of wrestlers and they'd have their own self-contained storylines and everything like that because we'll see as you probably know pro wrestling's all predetermined so it's like a soap opera with stuntmen is kind of how we yeah. simply describe it to people that that uh, aren't so familiar um and then um jess mcmahon's son vince mcmahon's father uh, uh vincent j mcmahon um kind of came along and and kind of um expanded the northeast territory and started to play a little bit more with the kind of entertainment side of things and that was really, uh, uh, came to the fore because of Vince McMahon, Vincent K. McMahon, the man who's coming to this dinner party uh, in the early 1980s when he took over the company from his dad. Um, interestingly, actually didn't have a relationship with him as a child. Uh, Vincent J. McMahon left Vince McMahon's mum when he was quite young and they didn't actually reconnect until Vince was about 19 and suddenly decided that he wanted to have a relationship with his father and then go into the business um so it's a really interesting one that it wasn't like this kind of predetermined thing as often you see with businesses that have kind of been passed down generationally it's not like he'd kind of been groomed from an early age to do this yeah. he had no wrestling in his whole uh, growing up until he was an adult and then kind of came into it um and and yeah and he was the guy that basically um kind of brought bought up all the territories and created this idea of the wwf the world wrestling federation um previously it had been the wwf um which was the new york territory and then he went all around the country and did all these deals and basically snapped up most of the competition territory wise and uh yeah um kind of became a billionaire and and owner of one of the most successful forms of entertainment kind of anywhere in the world probably at its zenith in the late 1990s i think you probably will remember people wearing austin 316 t-shirts and oh, it yeah. was just so culturally pervasive at, at that at that time constantly in the playground people doing wrestling moves and getting yeah. told off for it yeah on you know guesting on snl and talk show you know you couldn't turn on any tv show or something there'd be a, a wrestler come and make a cameo and it was just all part of pop culture at that time um and hugely popular and, and obviously vince was kind of the reason behind that um but speaking to what i was talking about uh, uh at the beginning of the podcast he is famously very uh enigmatic in terms of doesn't really give a lot of interviews no one really knows what he's like out of character obviously he's played the character of mr mcmahon the owner since kind of 97 before then he was actually um on the commentary team and people didn't know that he owned the company because they always had um kind of fictional owners portrayed on yeah. television 
um uh, and then um something called the montreal screw job which we won't go into now because that's a whole separate podcast happened <laughs> and that forced vince mcmahon to kind of come out publicly as the real life owner of the company but then he kind of played on that and created this kind of evil boss character which was the perfect antithesis of stone cold steve austin probably the most popular wrestler ever maybe hulk hogan's in the conversation but um austin being the kind of every man who hates his boss and that yeah. became the defining storyline of the late 90s and early 2000s when wrestling was at its most popular um which is fascinating really because it's kind of a, a genius piece of marketing and, and great storytelling when you've got a, a hero who represents you know, the blue collar working man who gets to you know on your behalf say all the things and do all the things that you would all like to do to your boss right yeah. Yeah. but at the same time that means that vince has to keep his real identity pretty secret yeah because the whole point of wrestling is that there's a real blurred line between truth and 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 fiction yes to keep the fans invested especially at that time where it wasn't as widely publicized that wrestling was was predetermined or uh, quote unquote fake which is kind of the the way to wind up a a wrestling fan (laughs) absolutely but yeah but he you know he this is this is a man that um allegedly until three or four years ago didn't know what a burrito was despite the fact that he'd been eating one every day for lunch for decades but he just (laughs) called it a meat wrap (laughs) so this is a guy that's why i want to get into is be like what like and also just to find out what's real and what's not because obviously he's spent his whole life with the smoke and mirrors of professional wrestling Mm -hmm. and and being behind something that purports itself to be real but is actually predetermined and i want to know how many of these stories leaked are real or that he leaks himself and that Mm. and how much of this mythos is true i'm also fascinated by the fact that he's quite openly apolitical he says he hates politics yet his wife linda mcmahon was uh chairman of of small businesses under trump and is a is a republican politician and uh and and vince uh, yeah as i said always been quite outspoken about how much he hates politics um so that's quite interesting would be talking about that kind of dynamic um uh yeah i mean just yeah millions of things how did ha um uh, what's the truth behind the montreal screw job and do look that up um because i can't be bothered to go into it now but that's one question i'd ask him yeah uh uh was that a work or a shoot for those of you that don't know work means storyline shoot means real um uh yeah uh, you know talking about how that kind of came about the territories forming wwf how what he thinks makes a star why he doesn't listen to his fans anymore so Mm -hmm. many questions i have for him and i'd just be just picking his brain constantly i think he'd be i think it's a great choice and i think even if you weren't a wrestling fan at this dinner party and i'm not sure all the rest of my guests are wrestling fans i think they'd still find him a fascinating character to talk to and to hear from because also he's been at the forefront of popular culture whether it's through rock and wrestling whether it's through the comedy and wrestling link yeah whether it's through the films and hollywood uh, and the rock and all of that for so many decades that he must have a really really good kind of gauge or not which is either way is fascinating to find out of where a country is and where a country that's such a melting pot of america cliche but true never more so than now uh i'd love to uh, to take his temperature on on where the country is and what it's doing and where it's going next whether that be 
you know, apolitically or not, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating um, kind of wealth of knowledge to have at that dinner table. Yeah. Um, and it would be really, yeah, really interesting to know what he thought of pretty much every aspect of pop culture. Yeah. Really, really good choice. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. M- mostly because I think that give me an evening with him and I reckon I could get him to retire. Do you think? I don't know. I'd give it a good go. I think it, it's his day in the sun. I do you know what I think would happen. Mm-hmm. I think you'd go in trying to do that, and then you'd come out accidentally head of <laughs> talent relations <laughs> at WWE, and you'd be like, "Oh, I'm, I'm really, I've got to move to Florida now." Um, I'd be like, "Why?" And you'd be like, "I think I accidentally got a job with uh, with WWE." That's yeah. what would happen. You're, you're which would right. be no bad thing as long as I got to go with you. Yeah. Who would you like to write at the moment? What wrestler would you like to write if you were working for Miss McMahon? Do you know what the thing is, though? We'd be up in Connecticut, actually, at headquarters. We probably wouldn't be down in Florida. So Maybe. Good weather. But Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, who, what, what wrestler would I like to write for Yeah. if I was the head of creative? Yeah. Um, like Paul Heyman's always written for Brock. Yeah, and he's yeah, yeah, for Roman. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Billy Kay. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Lots of comedy in there. And also, I think, hopefully, I think, I get think, some of that legitimate wrestling talent out. I think she could genuinely be one of the most over performers right now um, because she's such a natural comedian. And I think there's very few wrestlers that actually are and get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd yeah, love to write Even that. the ones who are also professional comics don't seem to be that funny. Yeah, yeah. Shout <laughs> Sorry, Dolph. Shout out, Dolph. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a great yeah. one to get us started off with. So really, he, really good. He arrives first because he's old, so he has to... Yeah, I didn't realise that they they had to arrive in order, um, but that's gonna that's gonna mean mm. uh, a conversation where we're like, Mister McMahon, it's just you, me, and him oh, God, offering him gonna, a drink. We're waiting for someone really else to turn awkward. up. That reminds me of our New Year's party we went to a couple of years ago. <laughs> Great. Um, okay, so one of your main heroes. Now, this is one of my main heroes um, coming in next. I love the fact that he's coming in second because mm-hmm. he's not going to make this conversation any easier. <laughs> okay, great. Um, it's someone who you and I both love, uh, and that is Stuart Lee. Um, <laughs> Excellent. Stuart Lee is a comedian, uh, satirist, writer, um, has been a staff writer on some of the greatest uh, shows ever, starting out on um, uh, The Day to Day and before that on The Hour. Um, create, co-creating characters like Alan Partridge working mm-hmm. with Armando Iannucci and Simon Blackwell um, going on to kind of forefront and head like alternative comedy with Lee Herring uh, mm-hmm. sorry Lee and Herring uh, with Richard Herring um, shout out to Richard Herring if you're listening to this um, podcast s- king of the UK he is podcast king of the UK uh, always always asking for money though mm-hmm. so it actually you know, if you really enjoy this podcast and you've already given your fiver to us, um, and but you want to donate, give give some money to to Richard Herring because I think he needs it at the moment. Um, no, he's uh, he's fantastic and always been championing young comics as well. Um, so uh, Lee, yeah, Chris Stewart Lee, um, kind of doing that, but then also taking this huge kind of um, left field turn, coming out of the kind of stand up comedy circuit for a while, and then co writing one of the most kind of uh, genre-bending, politically challenging, provocative pieces of art in the last 50 years with Jerry Springer, the opera. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is a process that I am 
incredibly fascinated by. Um, in interviews, Stuart Lee's talked about the fact that that musical um, not only was a huge hit, but then also he faced huge backlash. Um, many, many churches in America trying to sue him, uh, threatening to set fire to theatres. Death threats were sent to him and his family because of the way it dealt and satirised uh, religion. Putting Jesus Christ on the Jerry Springer show is a fantastic premise, um, but also uh, obviously is going to upset certain people. Uh, when you think that they burnt down uh, theatres in South America when Lloyd Webber did Jesus Christ Superstar yeah. as a musical, and that wasn't even really offensive or challenging yeah, yeah, yeah. in any kind of real, real way. Um, you can, yeah, see. Uh, so I'd love to know what that process was about um, uh, and what it was like. Um, and also how that kind of informed the way he then decided to take his comedy act. Because from then, he went, uh, rather than kind of going back into the double act with, with Richard Herring and, and writing, he took his character, he kind of invented the character Stuart Lee the Comedian, or the yeah. comedian, what he refers to as the comedian Stuart Lee. And this character allows him to say things uh, as Stuart Lee, but things that he wouldn't say off stage in order to build a narrative around a comedian who's trying to get his career back. Now, that's been so successful as a model that he's now playing sold-out houses. He is literally, like, quote, the highest uh, critically acclaimed comedian in the history of comedy. Yeah. No one's received more five-star reviews than him. Yeah. Uh, both, you know, press on the right and left, love him or hate him, have to concede that he's a master of of his style of comedy and he's led kind of really been hugely influential in comedy also by deconstructing comedy yeah um as an old joke that he kind of refers to himself which is really annoying he goes oh um it's really annoying when you come and see Stuart lee because you, you he deconstructs it and therefore you can't really enjoy watching another comedian and that's something that yeah. you and i have been saying for quite a long time yeah yeah and then you and went he, to see him live didn't you yeah yeah and he does that he does an impression of like us yeah like he does it and he's like oh do you know who i hate do you know what i hate stuart lee fans i hate stuart <laughs> lee fans. oh do you know what i just can't really watch any other comedian anymore because just like after watching stuart lee you just can't do it i was like i've i've said that i've yeah. said those exact words and you're calling me out for being your fat like he's so meta and as i think i've said on previous podcasts that's one like maybe my favorite kind of performative device is meta theatrics or kind of meta drama however you want to call yeah, it. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the, with the term meta, kind of meta theatre would be like a play within a play or a play yeah. about a play. Yeah. Uh, meta comedy, a joke about a joke yeah. or about a joke about writing yeah. comedy. Um, and it kind of can be applied to anything. Yeah, it's 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 kind of breaking the fourth wall to the to the nth degree. It's it, and and I I adore it and I adore his. I mean, my favourite favorite favorite ever Stuart lee bit um and i can never remember from which, which special it's from but it's the scraping of the microphone <laughs> yeah. on the on the card he's had made up he's, he's it's a the gag is to do with um one of those kind of coffee rewards cards <laughs> yeah um and it's a, it's a nero one and he's had it blown up huge so that the whole audience can see it and he just accidentally scrapes his mic against it like it's not a bit he just genuinely accidentally just knocks the mic <laughs> and it gets a laugh and he just stops and goes right let's talk about that then <laughs> and then he does this whole riff on why that was funny yeah and explaining what like I, it, and it's just 
watching his mind work in real time is one of the most joyful experiences and yeah i think i've seen him live now maybe five times um and every time it is just i i i, I never physically hurt as much yeah from seeing anything else as when it's Lee. i mean he, there's there's no one yeah who 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 genuinely makes me laugh and i think one of the problems of being a comedy fan is that when you watch a lot of comedy you kind of become a little bit inured to it and you're going oh that i've heard that before or yeah. that doesn't really make make me laugh no matter how many times you see a Stuart lee show it, it, it he has me in stitches and i also think he's a really lovely person yeah um which wouldn't be important really in terms of whether i'm going to book his you know a ticket to his show or not but having him around for dinner that actually does matter yeah. i think he's a fascinating um, person when it comes to his commentary on uh, the left and the Labour Party, his analysis of politics, his analysis of current affairs is so much sharper than Newsnight's. Um, you know, I'd much rather know what Stuart Lee's got to say yeah. than Kirsty Walk about yeah. a political issue because he just knows more. He's got more information in his head and more experience and also at the same time isn't tied to being neutral um, in the same way that all these presenters are, especially BBC. Um, neutral, quote unquote. No, funded by the Tory party almost entirely now um but you know that's a that's a different issue I think yeah. it would be fascinating to have him there also his love of music and his love of rock and roll his love of punk uh, and post-punk yeah. uh, music in particular um would really play into a lot of our kind of common yeah um uh yeah things that we enjoy so I think that there would be um plenty of conversation um and I'd yeah I'd love to know what where he is at, at the moment what worries me slightly and this is pure speculation on on what i think he's like i mean i've i have met him very very briefly um but i don't know him and I, and i get the impression that he will be very similar to our course director we have we at rose briefly <laughs> in the steve in the we always thought because steve gave these amazing kind of left-wing socialist lectures that opened up our minds mm -hmm. and made us the people we are today. That'd be charismatic that. speaker. Yeah, that he'd be really interested to talk about that in kind of social settings when he'd come to the pub after yeah. lectures or whatever. And he could not be less interested in talking to us. Like, the point, like <laughs> Josh, who we've had on the podcast a lot, he'd like come up to be visiting you and we'd be like, he'd love Josh because they'd just talk about like football. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, but you're like this genius guy yeah. that... What he and wants that, to do is talk about pop music and, yeah, and football, sport, and, cricket results, anything. So I'm glad you mentioned the music thing because I think that's where you'll get him. I don't think he'll. I I think the last thing he'll want to do is come round and talk about like the inner workings of his comedy. Yeah. I I think getting him in to talk about kind of yeah post punk. Yeah, I, I he's just done a talk. film actually that you know I need to see a documentary film about a um uh, a, a band that kind of never made it um uh that that he's he's done and it's you know pretty critical acclaim yeah. um and owen jones had him on uh his show recently and all he wanted to talk about was that film and, and the and how, how and that music yeah and, and the whole point is that it's a band that no one knows about so he's right. just waxing lyrical about the band that no one cares about and that's the reason why you've done the film it's you know it's, yeah um, yeah kind of homage to that foot that i think it was a danish film about a band a, a death metal band that never quite made it oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, similar lines to that. But I think he would be fantastic to talk to and, you know, loosen him up a bit. It'll be fine. Also, there's a personal thing for me because Stuart Lee is the only person um, so far 
that I've been genuinely starstruck. And, you know, you and I have both been uh, a couple of parties, you know, with some or social settings with some pretty famous people. Yeah. And when you meet your heroes, often it's quite underwhelming. Stuart Lee, I saw in a pub and took 20 minutes to work up the courage to go and say hello to him. And he had left just the minute Aww. I got up to leave. Yeah, his coat flapped round the door. Um, it's in the White Rabbit in Oxford. Um, and I and I just wanted to go and tell him that he'd just made me feel less alone as a teenager and 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 opened my mind and and you know it was it was really like discovering a, a mm. band that that this they, they get me. That's what watching Stuart Lee was like um, in Carpet Remnant World and, and Comedy Vehicle as well. Yeah. Um, in the BBC series so uh, I'd like to be able to tell him that and maybe I know after a few glasses of wine and a bit of food and and having other guests to talk to I might be able to say that and it won't be weird or too fanboyish yeah I mean he's come around here for dinner right don't come and tell me you don't want to talk to me you've said yes I think I've got a plan that I'm going to bring up his involvement with Time Trumpet Mm mm-hmm because I don't think anyone probably remembers Time Trumpet or yeah. mentions it. You are the only person who. Yeah. In fact, didn't you talk to Amanda Iannucci about that? No, no, it was no. I talked to her about a specific sketch on the Amanda Iannucci show, oh, which right. is a program people remember less than Time Trumpet. <laughs> um, what did he say? He was just he was confused and touched at the same time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but and yeah, was quite couldn't believe that I referenced a, a sketch from a show he did in the mid nineties. That no one watched. Um, yeah, but great, great shout. Okay, there we are. So one of my massive heroes, you know, been with me since like twelve, thirteen. Yeah, you've got a massive hero that I would also love. I think we're both happy with those. Yeah, They're great guests. Yeah, I don't know what they talk to each other about. No, hmm. no. Lee might know a bit about professional wrestling. I think, wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, and I think unlike what I think Stuart Lee would be like, I'm pretty sure Vince will only talk about wrestling because I don't think he has any other frame of reference of, of anything. Oh, no, no. Um, by all accounts, because he works about 18 hours a day and then sleeps for a few hours and then works again. So I don't think he's yeah. aware of <laughs> anything outside of professional wrestling. Um, so, yeah, um, my next guest, um, if you've not yet worked out uh, mine and Callum's political leanings from Callum's uh, first guest there or <laughs> anything we've said on any of the podcasts of last year, um, you might get, work it out from who I'm inviting next, which is uh, the wonderful Ash Sarkar. Um, Brilliant choice. Now, for those of you who don't know, Ash Sarkar, um, she uh, is a journalist for an organisation called Navarro Media, which is a kind of online um, uh, news outlet, really, um, that is kind of specifically very strongly left-wing and socialist. It was created by a guy called Aaron Bastani a few years ago, and um, who, in his own right, would be an amazing person to have around for dinner. Um, mm. I've been reading his book recently about luxury communism. Uh, which um, is is kind of what Ashaka talks about as well. She she uh, classifies herself as a libertarian communist, um, which is probably the closest I've ever read to what my own political leanings are. And it's essentially the idea that you agree with um, the kind of uh, uh, communist part of um, all our kind of services being kind of state run and in kind of the hands of the workers and like equality for all across the whole board yeah but you disagree with their the kind of authoritarian slant of communism where the government kind of have control of your personal life so it's like mm-hmm. your personal life's your personal life and that's yours and independent and but yet 
all of our services, our healthcare, our education systems, all of those things are public. Um, which is kind of what the idea of, of uh, libertarian communism is. Luxury communism is kind of an extension of that, whereby Aaron Bastani's argument is it doesn't have to mean that everyone's poor mm -hmm. because there's enough money in the world for communism to actually happen in reality with redistributing the wealth that's in the world that everyone would be rich. I don't know. Yeah. And he's kind of, yeah, arguing... A, and it's all actually to do with the advancement of technology and the fact that technology is moving on. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's got uh, automation. Yeah. It's a big part of what makes yeah. luxury communism possible, yeah. right? I think for Bastani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, for example, yes, you want to unionize, you know, the railway workers, but also if you're going to automate the railway service, then those people should still be able to live comfortably, even if their jobs are replaced by robots, right? That's it. And his argument is with jobs being replaced by robots, financially that makes things um, a lot kind of more efficient. And therefore there is more money in the system to make sure every human has a better quality of life and can um, do what they want with their lives and be paid well for doing that. Um, if technology is to kind of yeah uh, take over the kind of more menial aspects of work then we can all be at quite a high level kind of in terms of financial and quality of life equally and yeah. that's kind of the idea of luxury communism and ashar Karzam, massive proponent of that um um but yeah she's she's just amazing she's she's 28 i think she's born in 92 um and kind of came to sort of national prominence in the uk a few years ago when she had a quite a, a sort of spat with piers morgan on good morning britain that went viral yeah where he was trying to call her a, like a, fa a, a fan of obama and saying that she was cheerleading for obama and she literally just had to shout him down and go i'm literally a communist you idiot yeah um and it's just great um because she's also talking about the fact that about uh the dangers of straw manning whilst he's actually straw manning her uh and so incredible it's, skill yeah, yeah uh and she, yeah she's just a and she's incredibly witty incredibly funny on 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 twitter um and deals with an awful lot of abuse as well um mainly uh attacked on the basis of her ethnicity uh, yeah. her religion identity as a muslim woman yeah um and the constant amount of abuse that someone who you know, not even that famous, really, outside of, you know, people yeah. who are interested in the socialist left uh, faces. The strength that's required to overcome that is sadly necessary, but also incredibly, incredibly admirable. Um, and to do that at such a young age and to have achieved such um, an incredible mastery of uh, political discourse, just a stunning individual. Like, if this is where she is now uh yeah. where the hell could she be like if she, if she wanted to be um i i find her yeah phenomenal uh, yeah. figure um i think i'd be quite starstruck to me ash Sakar. yeah absolutely yeah and 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 i just would yeah really relish the opportunity to um kind of explore that those sort of murky waters of the far left and those lines that we talked about in previous podcasts between what makes socialism what makes communism where that kind of author authoritarian aspect comes into it and and yeah i just think um in terms of learning a lot i'd learn a huge amount from her and definitely probably just yeah be really annoyed by the end of it because i just teach me teach me all these things really um, good 
um, actually, if you're interested, go check out Navarro Media on mm. Twitter, um, or you can follow Ash Sakar um, at Io Cesar. Yeah. Um, on on uh, Twitter, some amazing um, kind of insights. Um, also, I was just going to say, you I think, introduced I think me. It's Caesar. Uh, is it? Yeah, is I it think Caesar? that's the gag because instead of Hail Caesar, it's Io Caesar. I thought it was C E S A R. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah, that's I've missed the, the gag there. Um, one of the things I was going to say is that you introduced me to the Young Turks, which mm. might be seen as a kind of American contemporary of yeah, absolutely um, yeah yeah. Well yeah, there's the there's the Young Turks and um, uh, there's the uh, Majority Report as well. Is the other big left wing thing that was created by a guy called Sam Seder, uh, Young Turks created by Cenk Uger, um, and actually Anna Kasparian was my other choice. Uh, if if not Ashaka to kind of yeah fill that kind of left wing um, thing, but I just thought because of Ashaka being British, I was like, well, she'll serve that the UK politics aspect, which is kind of more relevant to us in terms of wanting to talk to her to learn things. Um, there's more kind of yeah uh, cultural relevancy there, I guess. But, nice, um, but but yeah, and Anna Kasparian's amazing as well. Um, uh, and or uh, John Iadarola as well, who's on there. They're they're all amazing. Yeah, watch the Young Turks, go to Navarro Media, and get educated in left wing news because what we get on mainstream channels is not centre. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, I think the the, channel the difficulty is that left wing news isn't the same as right wing news, isn't that? Yeah. Right right wing news is defined by its dishonesty, yeah, majoritively. Um, not because right wing means dishonest, but you're allowed to be right wing and dishonest. That mm. you'd be politically true to yourself if you were lying and you were on the right. Yeah. Whereas to be on the left, you have to be based in truth. Uh, to be certainly, if we're talking about Young Turks and Navarra Media, that means you yeah. criticise your own, you criticise mm. your own party. Mm. You you look at things with the highest priority being based on what's the truth. And I think that's why one of the most interesting things that even if you don't find yourself particularly on the left of the of political spectrum, if you're interested in looking at facts and you want to learn more about anything, <laughs> socialist and left-wing news outlets are always going to give you a, a kind of a more down-the-line uh, answer, even if yeah. they tag on the end to it, oh, and the answer's luxury communism. You'd have to agree with that um, in order to still get the fruits of, of all that truth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so my next uh, choice is someone that I think uh, Ash Sarkar would be very excited to meet. Also, Stuart Lee would be very excited yeah. to meet. I don't think Vince McMahon is going to be that interested. <laughs> um, he feels left out so far, doesn't he? He does a little, yeah. But I don't know. I think what would be interesting is that he we've got a bit of age coming from from Vince mm. as well. So I'd mm. like to see his perspective on this. But my next guest is James Baldwin. Okay, I've upped it quite a bit yeah, here. Okay. I feel like we've gone from <laughs> okay. like people we could be mates with to one of the biggest figures of the twentieth century. <laughs> Um, and I ummed and ahed, and I really, I, I, I was, I had Kurt Vonnegut on my list as mm -hmm. someone who is kind of dead, who I'd like to bring back because of this kind of wide spectrum of 20th century uh, art, and and uh, he's written some really lovely books about creativity that, that I love, um, and the right, the uh, the process of art being for the sake of the process, not always the outcome, um, and and I love his kind of uh, lib slightly libertarian politics as well. But um, James Baldwin trumped it because I've started reading I Am Not Your Negro by James Baldwin mm. recently. And I actually haven't seen the film that that book's kind yeah. of basically compiling um, yet. But I'm really, really enjoying uh, engaging with 
with Baldwin in a way that has is slightly less intimidating than some of the other other Baldwin I've read. Because if you think of him as an essayist, his incredible intellectual mind, uh, wonderful political analysis, and of course, massive advocate for social change when we mm-hmm. think about uh, equal or civil rights movement in America um, uh, and, and racism particularly, and the role of, of um, the black man, quite specifically and quite contentiously um, in, uh, in America. Um, so it makes him a, a kind of a great intellectual mind, but also you think of him not just as an essayist, but as uh, a, a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, people will often talk about Go, Go Tell It on the Mountain as being a yeah. seminal kind of great American novel. Um, and absolutely. And and uh, The Next Fire as well, which I haven't read. Um, but as a poet, I think he's beautiful. As a mm-hmm. kind of artist, I think that's where he's at his best. And I always think when it comes to social justice... Um, which we talk about quite a lot on this show and it's kind of a big part of our lives. There's a there's the marrying of an intellectual theorist mm-hmm. and the artist. And on their own, they never really achieve much. But when they come together, something very, very special happens. I always think like having someone like Angela Davis, incredible figure that also would have been incredible yeah. to have here. Um, as someone who broke boundaries and, you know, politically fought her way into Congress and, and broke history with that. Um you also got someone like Audre Lorde or Maya mm-hmm. Angelou on the artist side, mm-hmm. who is it doing the expressive and the feeling and the healing mm-hmm. that is required after in 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 the wake of and during and the survival of oppression. Um, and I think that James Baldwin is one of those few people who bridge both of those gaps in one person. He has that intellectual capacity yeah. and incredible brain power, and also this wonderful artistry and turn of phrase. I also think someone who has been exposed probably the most exposed person not just as a as a a, a man of color as a black man african-american but also as a gay man Mm. and that is an interesting intersection that was put under the spotlight uh in an an interesting way if you think about him on the dick cabot show he was asked to talk about racism he wasn't asked to talk about you know his sexuality not in Mm -hmm. 65 Mm -hmm. um but kind of coming through that and surviving and and actually writing about the deaths of his contemporaries and friends um, who who didn't survive this because of how much hatred and oppression um, there there was uh, in you know in the latter part of the twentieth century. I think he's a fascinating figure, and and I would love to know if I could bring him back. I'd love to know what he made of Trump and and the contemporary politics. That's what I'm really interested in. I I, I think that that's one of the really exciting things about being able to choose anyone from history is and 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 for me I, I was thinking about not not only all that kind of yeah negative stuff but also what he thought of people that have so clearly been influenced by him if, if you think about you know even obvious ones like the work of spike lee but also, you know yeah. Donald glover even tyler perry talks a lot about james baldwin being a huge influence on his oh, work which is really yeah. interesting um and and so to see the diff, very different ways that people have been influenced by him, especially uh, men of color, especially gay men of color, working in in the industry. Um, uh, yeah, there's a huge or, or poetry or, or more commonly now kind of film film and TV. But um, yeah, I th- I'd love to to, to know that. Um, but also, again, like I was saying with Ashaka, it's someone who you just listen, right? You just want to listen, yeah, and just learn. Um, I'm also conscious that by all accounts apparently james baldwin was quite a physically big man oh really and i'm 
and I think Vince might try and sign him. Um, hey, because he's got be no great. other frame of reference, so he'll just look at every every person that comes in. He'll just judge them as to whether they can be a professional wrestler or not, and be like, uh, gauge his level of interest in talking to them. Yeah, you could be up a mid card cruiserweight. Yeah, uh, like maybe you could challenge um, challenge Riddle for the Universal Title. Yeah, um, if he still has it by the time this party is happening. You know, we've got this WrestleMania this weekend, folks. This is true. I also love the idea of him trying to get the James Baldwin's gimmick. Like, what's <laughs> yeah. your gimmick? Yeah. Social justice. Uh, warrior? Yeah. Social justice warrior. You're a pullet. We're going to give you a beret. <laughs> and it's going to be great. <laughs> Brilliant. Can you use some more simple words, please? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I love this. Um, there are loads of things you could talk about with James Baldwin. And, and I'm sure many of you listening will know much more about him than I do as someone who's kind of discovering him really in the last mm-hmm. year or so. Um, there's a quote I often use when people get uncomfortable about having social justice conversations. Um, and it's just this quote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And I think there's just such a wonderful, simple turn of phrase mm-hmm. for him, certainly quite simple, mm-hmm. um, that really is worth remembering whenever I feel discomfort about going, oh, I think I need to work on this part of myself or I need to engage in something that's difficult. Yeah. Um, that is a great reminder of mm. why it's so important to do that. And Absolutely. his life and legacy is, yeah. is going to be incredible yeah. to mine. I also think, yeah, Stuart Lee and, and Ash Sarkar would just jump all over that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the more successful Baldwin brothers. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yes. Yeah, we wouldn't invite Alec Baldwin to no. that same dinner party. No. For fear um... he said something <laughs> wrong. So we're halfway there. Yep. Vinnie Max there. Ash Sarkar's there. We've got James Baldwin there. We've got Stuart Lee. Uh, there. I, I st- I'm, I'm, I'm worried about Vince McMahon still. Okay. I think my next guest is the bizarrely probably the most likely to, to resonate with Vince. Um, and I'll explain why. Okay. What's um, your thinking? My next guest is someone who has been probably my biggest theatrical influence as a kind of theatre artist in terms of influence on my kind of directing and creative side of things, um, <laughs> my writing side of things. He was someone I was introduced to um, uh, when I did a BTEC at Bath College at the age of 16, and it blew my mind as to what kind of theatre could be and what the power of theatre is and how outside the box you can be when creating theatre um and the role of an audience in that relationship as well uh and that is the um uh, french kind of theater pioneer uh antonin arto amazing yeah uh go on i want to see how you're tying this together so so, fascinating character yeah absolutely fascinating uh antonin arto um uh, kind of really came from it's in the 1920s in France when he wrote his kind of seminal treatise, The Theatre and Its Double. Um, now, this is someone who's credited as being a playwright despite only actually having about six pages of a play in existence. It's called A Spurt of Blood, and it is the most bonkers thing you will ever read in your life. It's it's actually kind of unperformable um, in terms of if you were to try and follow the stage directions to the letter um it's like things like and then the roof flies off and disappears into the night you're like right okay um <laughs> well how do i budget for that yeah there's no arts cap in yeah. a council yeah. application that, yeah. in the world <laughs> i mean the risk assessment on that show as well stage <laughs> manager did I just explode um 
but essentially people uh, in the theater world and 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 anyone that's kind of done a level drama has probably come across arto and a lot of people misunderstand what the theater of cruelty means they think it means blood and gore like horror theater uh and now i've read the theater and it's double probably about 10 times um is I, I for me it's the most important book on theater ever written and i what he says i believe to mean it's it's the cruelty is actually um not allowing the audience to have a good time is is basically and in in whatever way that means to you as the creator so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're shocking them but it's about creating a piece of art that hits purely emotional an emotional kind of guttural response that your brain isn't actually able to intellectualize and 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 often people will say the easiest way to do that is probably the reaction of shock because most of the time we don't like shock is very much a reaction that is very hard to intellectualize and to mm. kind of understand in the moment um so i think that's why a lot of people talk about that in terms of shock theater being being artodian um i think it's it's about something that i say all the time about the theater i make is i don't want people to sit back and relax i want them to sit forward and engage um and i want them to yeah be hit you know by a kind of powerful bolt and he talks about um he was someone much like brecht that talked a lot about this idea of the breaking of the fourth wall this idea of of um uh actually kind of opposite of talking about the same thing as brecht wanting to do in terms of making the audience um aware of theater but actually whereas brecht talked of in the from dung's effect about alienating audience from the action on stage um arto talked about actually bringing them in to it so much that they're actually a part of it and therefore they're not spectating um and i don't think you'd have you know the massive trend now of, of immersive theater and promenade theater and things like that um that have actually been going in one way or another since kind of the mid 20th century but that is all about um uh what arto is talking about about stripping away this invisible barrier between the audience and the proscenium arch stage and in fact in the theater it's double one of the things he talks about to get to that is actually getting rid of traditional theatrical spaces and he talks he describes this idea he has for a new theatrical space that is essentially a roller coaster is really what he's describing he's wow. talking about this kind of movable audience that kind of goes up and down and in and around and action kind of happens around them um and it's very kind of disorienting and things like that um and in terms of um the idea of that kind of um um bringing an audience in to the point of they don't know what's real and not real is where i was going with vince mcmahon and what professional wrestling does yes that's the link i was and and also the fact that arto was very much a showman as much as vince is he was very much influenced by early 20th century circus which again vince is um and the whole of wrestling is born out of right and the whole of wrestling is born out of i mean anthony arto is a guy who famously died sat on the end of his bed holding one shoe um and and that kind of encapsulates the guy's life really um but yeah so i 
want to invite him not just because he's kind of one of my biggest influences professionally but also because his book is so open to interpretation i just for my own gratification want to know how close i am to my interpretation of it um yeah i, I also think that actually Stuart lee would really lean into it because one he, we know that he's a theatrical scholar and, yeah. and and has spent a lot of time directing and uh and and reading a lot uh about theater at uh, oxford and that he's fascinated about the relationship between an audience and the performer yeah and his shows are always a dialogue between the audience performer or he makes you think that they are even yeah. though he's in control like pushing those boundaries is something that's been a big part of his comedy and uh, and certainly are totally in influences with, with jerry springer the opera yeah i would love to know his thoughts and on on his on how it fits into his kind of vein of art yeah. your vein of art and then having the man himself there to actually talk about it as well as vince would be yeah. fascinating yeah um, that's a really really interesting thought i also kind of think this idea of a revolutionary thinker who is also cast as mad like he spent some time mm. in an inst- mental did, institution yeah. he did yeah um uh, did he die in the mental institution i think he might have no done, no 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 he was just out but um he, he was in and out yeah most of his life yeah. um and and like the way mental health is kind of part of a dialogue now that it yeah. wasn't even a few years ago would be really interesting to talk about someone who who was living in a time where mental health wasn't even yeah it was just kind of yeah um, you were suffered, dumped you know to the side suffered very heavily from uh addiction um uh peyote specifically um, oh really well yeah that yeah. explains Hallucin- a few things yeah, hallucinogenics. I mean, he was on hallucinogens for most of his writing which is again is another interesting thing to have the person don't go right did you mean that or or were you like yeah on a yeah. trip you know um but you're right yeah. about this wrestling connection like you you one of the things that's that's interesting is that in a wrestling ring you very rarely have the audience in darkness yeah. it's a show yeah and it's a predetermined you know stuntmen soap opera like you say yeah essentially fictional it's there in order to make the audience feel something but also their reaction is informing what happens in the ring yeah. all the time stone cold you mentioned earlier talks about this an awful lot right yeah. he listens to the crowd constantly or did when he was wrestling um and and that is going to inform the next move or the next set piece or the next bump now Antonin Arto obsessed by that so much so that he often like isn't there a story of him uh sitting on stage and doing nothing until the audience left yeah and then there being one audience member remaining and yeah. he so so ev so yeah every time like the audience would start to leave and when they got to the door he'd start performing and then if one turned and came he'd stop again so that fascination with reversing the idea of what it is meant to be yeah the the action and and the 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 performance being driven by the audience disengaging is it's just it's fascinating to see to see that um that yeah. relationship between it and pushing those boundaries and also i think you're right just a quick acknowledgement of experiential theater as it's kind of now being called where it's a yeah. bit immersive it's a bit uh a promenade it's a yeah. bit kind of you know um, site specific that's happening at the moment certainly in london but across uh the uk and in new york with yeah. you know um so though that becoming more popular, people wanting to be viscerally involved or to be shocked or to be to be tapping into something that is emotion based rather than logic based, I do think is having a massive renaissance, like you say. Um, and would any of that really even exist without Arto? Probably not. No. Yeah. No, I don't think so. So oh, fascinating, fascinating figure. Yeah. 
Okay. So he's there handing out the peyotes to everyone. And then who comes in? Well, I've got two guests left. I've got one who I think will get on with Arto quite well. Mm-hmm. And I've got one who I think will be quite confused at every other guest that we have. Great. And that is AOC Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Excellent. I was thinking hard. I mentioned people like Angela Davis or Maya Angelou. Or, um, I thought about Frida Kahlo at one point mm-hmm. as being kind of a fascinating uh, character and personality. But I thought, actually, who would I like to sit down with again? That was yeah. the bit where I kind of kept coming back to. And I thought, well, you and I both have a bit of a kind of fascination with American politics. Yeah. I mean, you more, more than me, actually, I would say. But in terms of being kind of... It, it, it is easier on this side of the pond to watch mm. what's happening over there yeah we have lots of friends who who still who live over there and um i know it's a lot of, it's been a lot harder for them in reality yeah um so i'll try not to talk about this too much in terms of a spectator sport but yeah. i am fascinated by where america's going and i think aoc is one of the most important political figures uh who and we're yet to see where that potential goes. I yeah. think that we will definitely be talking about AOC in a presidential run. I'd be surprised yeah. actually if we weren't talking about President Cortez at I some point. Agree. Yeah. Um, I think she's a, a, a fascinating example of the American dream from the socialist perspective. In a, and that's a story that I don't think I've ever seen told before. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a film or a play that talks about the American dream of being working your way up from relatively you know humble yeah. beginnings yeah. um being you know working as a waitress working as a waitress yeah. and and starting a grassroots movement and then end up getting to the white house but from a socialist perspective who which challenges a lot of the american dream which obviously is incredibly tied towards right-wing capitalism yeah um the idea of trickle-down economics the american myth as many people refer to it as um, so I think someone who embodies the American dream and at the same time challenges it so fervently, also incredibly articulate. Um, and I think um, a lot of people refer to the squad um, uh, in, to describe AOC and a lot of her contemporaries who work very hard at kind of putting forward socialist um, values, who petitioned and campaigned an awful lot for Bernie Sanders in the last election. And um, I don't want that... To, I think that can be reductive in to some it can be used in a reductive way um uh, but also yeah I don't think you wouldn't have a squad you wouldn't have that pervasive um pop culture politics without someone like AOC um the amount of work she does on social media and the interview she does on Instagram the transparency with which she talks about what she gets paid how hard it is to live in both two cities how you have to pay two rents what mm-hmm. that's like yeah. um explaining what politics is as she discovers more and more of it each year um, her conversation with Ash Sakar would be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and both of their conversations with James Baldwin would be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I don't. Again, I don't really think Vince is going to be that interested. <laughs> so he might have to sit this one out, or he'll just be like, if one of them mentions Trump, he'll be like, oh, I know Donald Trump. Yeah. You know. So I, I was feeling okay about generally the atmosphere mm-hmm. until now. And I am worried because um, kind of recently WWE has been in the news a bit about how they treat their wrestlers because they're technically contracted as independent contractors, like they're self-employed. But they are have expectations that uh, from WWE that an employee 
would have and yeah. they're permitted and not permitted to do certain things for example um WWE have banned them having personal twitch streams or kind of any way that they can make extra money outside of wwe which to a certain extent when you're talking about if someone's doing it as their wrestling character and that's a character that's copyright is owned by wwe i can understand that there is a logic there of going well that's a that's a piece of creative content that we own as a company and we don't have any control over how you're presenting that character yeah but when you're saying that people can't even do it as themselves um then if you want to put that out there which i don't think you should anyway but if you want to then you they need to have the benefits of being an employee you can't treat them like an employee but not give them any of the benefits right so andrew yang in particular if you remember him the kind of business tech guy that was running for a democratic nomination back beginning of 2019 um everyone gets a thousand dollars everyone gets a thousand yeah yeah very kind of big um big believer in that kind of yeah um i forget the name of it now minimum um uh, like a universal income universal income thank you uh ubi universal basic income yeah. yeah um and um he has been really vocal on twitter about this he's gotten really involved in the kind of workers rights and trying to get wrestlers to unionize and i think aoc would be on a similar ben and and ashaka would as well but because she's not directly involved in american politics i i there's a good chance she might not know about that because it's a niche wrestling thing right yeah aoc i think maybe would know about it because of like the andrew yang influence and things like that and so i worry about there being an argument now between vince and aoc yeah um, and that's so before you even to... bring in the fact that he's married to linda mcmahon like that's gonna be yeah. a contentious issue yeah, as well yeah, yeah 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 but maybe we can you know distract uh, either of them um with uh, your final guest yes so my final guest is mary magdalene um now i, I mean that is gonna distract them yeah right yeah now i'm assuming i don't have to explain who mary magdalene is uh, if you're out there listening and going who's that please get in touch because i'd love to know how happy your life must be managing to have gone through it without any kind of religious dogma uh, in your brain um <laughs> yes. uh, lovely um but yes mary magdalene i want at this party because well for for a number of reasons one i would be fascinated to hear the real story of jesus christ and what's talked about in the new testament from the female perspective oh yeah um, because let's have that please um I'd be really interested to know her thoughts about um, about sex work today. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I mean, I, I a very good friend of mine who I went to um, uh, Bath College with, when we were 16 to 18, spent um, a couple of years working uh, for a Spearmint Rhino Gentleman's Club um, in, down in Bournemouth, I think it was. Um, and I remember talking to her about it once, and she was always kind of very very positive about the experience i mean she still says today it's one of the best jobs she's ever had um she had complete kind of power and autonomy over that job um um she had a lot of great money and you know and, and i think we do have a tendency to demonize sex work or stripping or or mm-hmm. anything kind of that and there is reason because there's a lot of bad things that come with that in terms of trafficking and 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 the fact that it's not legalized and regulated therefore there's there's a lot of corruption within that industry which is i think why there is and also it's tied in with the kind of misogyny of the porn industry and things like that and Mm -hmm. and, uh, women being commodified and all the rest of it um but there is also i think a school that does just kind of demonize sex work 
without actually talking to sex workers. So, oh yeah, hugely. as someone who's kind of one of the earliest sex workers documented, it would be really interesting to talk to them about that. Um, I think also AOC would put up a pretty good uh, union proposal yeah. for the unionization of uh, sex workers. That would happen that, in an instant. All these unions are going to be created from our dinner party. It's going to be great. wonderful. It's going to be great. More um, unions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but also just like gossip like what was jesus really like how much of this is true yeah um you know because actually i was i was i did originally i was like should i invite jesus himself and then i was like should i invite judas i said like, i wanted someone to just talk about the reality of like just showing these people this going right so 200 years after you guys were all alive <laughs> someone wrote this and then 100 years later another person wrote the same story but slightly different and this went on for quite a few hundred years after that and then this book's happened and it's caused a lot of problems so i just <laughs> want to know from you all uh what how much of this is true yeah. what did they get right what did they get wrong what's propaganda what you know be fascinating and i and i just thought i'd really like a female perspective on it so i've gone for mary magdalene I think that's an absolutely inspired choice. Um, an inspired choice. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot... There's a, there's a bit more about Mary, Mary Madeline in like, the Dead Sea Scrolls and St. Yeah. Thomas's Gospel and things yeah, that have been completely really kind of destroyed and yeah. you know, erased from history yeah. by the Illuminati, according to Dan Brown. Quite possibly. <laughs> quite possibly. I don't know, Dan. Or maybe he made it up. Um, but it's... Yeah, I, I think I think that an incredible figure. Um, I'd love, love to know what's going on. I'd also like to see what she how she felt about Stuart Lee's um, kind of <laughs> commentary when we think about yeah. Jerry Spring of the Opera and yeah. Jesus being part of that social media very um, true televised yeah. kind of phase I also think Antonin Arto would just lose lose his shit over that so I think he would end up like having written this amazing one woman show about Marie Magdalene yeah and I think and I could produce it it would be brilliant yeah can you imagine what he'd make of social media yeah I don't think he I think he'd be making theatre in like with technology i think that it yeah. would just explode he'd be like he'd be making theater inside the cells of of, of your arm if you yeah. could like yeah. that's yeah, where yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, the yeah, possibilities yeah. be endless yeah fascinating um great choice okay my our final, final choice guest, our final guest final guest is another hero of mine a hero of america a hero of pretty much any artist that i rate loves this mm-hmm. this individual and that is the great tom waits tom waits i adore uh for many many reasons one he's lived quite a long time born in like 49 mm-hmm. um so he's lived through a lot but i think in terms of anecdotes and stories he must have like he's gonna you'd you'd, you'd get bored of Stephen Fry within five minutes in compared yeah. to, to tom waits the people he's worked with the films he's made the the music album after album after album of era defining jazz folk romany gypsy influenced kind of theater uh his work with william s burroughs uh on on black rider obviously something that's close to our hearts yeah um I just think he's one of the most interesting artists of all time. And the choices he makes and the stories he makes are, are fascinating. Um, I, 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 I can't kind of gush any more, really, uh, about him. Do you know, I am amazed that more filmmakers don't, like, 
like imagine if you're like a filmmaker and you can feel like it's not working like this Mm -hmm. is going to be really poorly received right how much money have we got left in the budget if you get to that stage just hire tom waits because (laughs) yeah any every film he's ever been in is like known as being cool or a cult classic even if it's not a great film yep. if tom waits appears in it you go oh that film's got tom waits and that must be a cool film <laughs> yeah, he like, has credibility you, yeah exactly and automatically your film will become some kind of cult classic and you all you have to do is give him a monologue and then give him something weird to hold yeah whether it's a bunny rabbit in seven psychopaths or a coffee exactly. cup in coffee yeah. and cigarettes like exactly, have yeah. him, you let him have a chat with rizza and kizza it'll yeah. be fine like he yeah. does it. any any scenario it yeah. will be cool and cult and, and exactly. hipster Exactly. If you put him in with it, yeah, I um, oh, I just think he'd he'd be absolutely fascinating. I'm, I know, I know, there are so many stories that we've never heard. I I'm just interested in like the like oral experience of listening to Vince McMahon and Tom White have a conversation because that's the most gravel. <sighs> that, it it, that, that. It, yeah, it, it was really cement mixer going round and round. Fantastic. Also, really interesting because I think Tom Waits and Vince McMahon would get on really well. Uh, pretty much the same age same age yeah both you know so so a lot of a lot of kind of in common in terms of just experience but also two people who have famously fictionalized their own characters mm. in the public eye tom waits for years went on stage on interview shows on letterman on you know uh jay leno and things like that as the character of tom waits yeah. he used to pretend to be drunk even if he hadn't been uh drinking um he used to put on this persona especially when you think of like eras like night Horse at the diner and stuff all yeah. that kind of stuff the theatricality of the character of tom waits has superseded the man tom waits in mm-hmm. exactly the same way that M- mr mcmahon character uh kind of uh, uh, enveloped yeah. the real mcmahon uh the real person and i think that that idea of blending the american audience's experience of truth and reality has been something that he's done quite a lot and also just as a lot of american icons a bit of a master of reinvention like always ready to kind of change it up go somewhere yeah. else um um so i think that i think everyone would love tom waits and also i think that we could eventually at some point just point him towards the piano yeah um which kind of brings us to the other element yeah well so yeah everyone's here of the dinner party yeah everyone's here everyone's arrived um and uh i'm gonna try and do something at the end here but i'm gonna save it okay Uh, so yeah we've got everyone here now seating arrangements i think quickly who'd who do we want where i think just i mean this is the problem i can't plan these things as i go if if Mr. McMahon, if Vince McMahon sat down I, in that chair, I'm going, you're sitting there now. I'm not going to tell you to move because you're Vince point. McMahon. It's a good point. I th- There's just a few things that I would say I think we should keep in mind. I think we need to make sure that AOC and Vince sat very different just because I'm, I'm worried about this now. Okay, yeah, that's going to be, it could be, now. it could go wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also don't want to kind of create a sort of rift where you've got like AOC and Ashokar and James Baldwin all in one corner because then it's like we're we're Ooh, let's all talk politics. Let's all talk politics. So I think we want to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Um uh but yet yeah, you want people to have people that they're comfortable to talk to. Yeah. Because that's my that uh, I I hate I hate when you go to a dinner party and it's like named places and yeah and like it's such a gamble and it's like all that weddings well that's like, i was gonna say that's the that's the thing i'm calling weddings can't i can't i sit with my friend no mm. you've got to sit with these two strangers and you go oh, okay yeah i mean fine 
but it's a it's a it's a gamble, isn't it? Whether they're whether they're good whether people have or a great not. time or, or a bad time. So I think we know already that there are going to be. So I think yeah, sit Tom Waits close to Vince because they can talk about like the good old days in America and things like that. I think yeah, yeah. You sit, you do sit Ashakar and and AOC close together. I think. Um, yeah, I I actually think also if we've got a head of the table, well, two like heads mm-hmm. of the table, mm-hmm. maybe we give that to like AOC and Ash Sarkar so that they can they can see each other mm-hmm. and they're opposite each other. But also in terms of power dynamics, you don't want to put Vince at the head of a table. No, otherwise no, the whole yeah, thing will become a boardroom meeting about yeah, WWE. That's really true. Like that's he'll really just true. go into chairman mode, right? That's really true. So that's something we don't want to happen. Um, I also think Stuart Lee and, and, uh, and Tom Waits, he, he, Lee will want to talk to Waits a lot. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Don't put them together, put them opposite each other. Yeah. And that they can have that, yeah. but then also they've got, you know, people either side of them who they're going to, or oh, can you pass the salt, please? Yeah. You know, that's going to keep the conversation yeah. going. Yeah. I think, I think have Baldwin and Arto fairly close to each other just because they're from that similar. <laughs> that's the best sentence ever. <laughs> I, just, I just forgot for a second what we were doing. I was yeah. like, huh? what? Who? <laughs> Who? James Baldwin and Antonin Arto. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just because kind of early 20th century they'll kind of yeah there'll be a bit of crossover there there. Mm -hmm. um i mean when did arto die oh maybe late 20s so i think he would have died and i think baldwin was uh died in 87 i think he was born in the 20s 20s, yeah so so, a bit of a crossover there yeah yeah Yeah. generationally maybe but yeah um, that'd be really interesting yeah how about that and but, yeah. also, I think Baldwin probably is going. Oh, I spent my whole life being forced to talk about bloody politics and race relations, yeah. and actually, I was a you know great writer and artist, and yeah. I'd quite like to talk to Arta about that. And maybe you know we could fuse the two together. Yeah. Imagine what we could create by putting these people together. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. Is worth paying some attention to the seating plan. Yeah, but I think yeah, there are some definite no's. Yeah people you keep apart for a little bit absolutely maybe we could change it up after the main course so for dessert people sit in different places how do you feel about that i think that's yeah i think that's a good idea i think that's a good idea yeah yeah everyone onto the balcony for cigars yeah. and cognac yeah, yeah back in back in for the dessert yeah and change different places. places just yeah. give people a little break i think that's a good up. idea i think that's a good idea yeah nice okay Right. Food. On that note, yes. Well, I think we should offer coffee and liqueurs. It's going to happen at some point. I've already mentioned cigars and cognac. If people want to either drink or smoke, they don't have to. That's quite late, though, isn't it? That's quite quite late. late. Yeah, I'm not saying we start with that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But should we start with canapes? So what what are your favourite canapes? All of them. You you live off canapes. Canapes are like my favourite food type. Like I would eat canapes. I would eat canapes every day if I could. Mm, you know what I'm thinking? Have a meal of though. canapes. That is brilliant. That's mm. one of the reasons why you and I both love the restaurant Picks. Yeah. Um, exactly. Shout out to Picks in all over London, actually. Yeah. Um, really, really great place. Um, they all their food are kind of small canapes or big canapes, yeah. and you just eat yeah. as what you okay. like and then give the sticks in. Yeah. So Picks, Picks come and do the canapes. Yeah. 
Sorted. So we get Amazing. a nice range. Everything they do is going to be yeah, brilliant. Yeah, picks picks are in to do the counterpays. Okay. Okay. Now, starter. Starter. I don't know if all of these individ- any of these individuals are vegetarian, mm. but I know you're vegetarian, mm-hmm. and I feel like in the interest of inclusivity, we should have something that either has a vegetarian option. Yeah. Or now, does it matter? So I'm interested to know your thoughts on this because obviously this is purely theoretical for me because I've never eaten meat, but. Uh, obviously, big fan of the Great British Menu, mm. um, and whenever they do a meat starter, I just always think, God, isn't that going to? Because bear in mind, they have four courses. They do starter, fish, main, and dessert. And so, if you're having meat, fish, meat as your first three courses, isn't that quite heavy? Like, I'm quite surprised when they do like like a like a guinea fowl starter or something like that. Yeah, I have. I um uh, for my granddad, late granddad's birthday few years ago had pigeon as a starter mm. very rich very gamey very nice mm. but too much for a starter yeah. i agree it can be really yeah. heavy i think actually if you're gonna have meat for a starter it should be something very light like carpaccio or um right. yeah. like salmon like a cured kind mm. of meat or fish mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. something that is light and um i actually really love simple starters like bruschetta is one yeah. of my favorite starters because it's if it's a good one and it's not too watery You've got loads of flavour in there, mm-hmm. but it's not so, going to fill you up so much. Just yeah. have a couple of slices of that. But, you know, we've got the canapes as well. That's, so. what, that's the uh, bruschetta might be too similar to what's going on with yeah. the canapes. Soup. Soup. Great. Very yeah. light. Yeah, Classic. yeah. Soup. Soup. Soup is perfect because of the canapes. Okay. Uh, you don't like coriander, do you? Do you know what, though? I do like carrot and coriander. I love carrot and coriander. You like coriander soup. too? I just don't like... I don't know why. I love that. Coriander is like the herb. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, well, in that case, let's go for coriander and carrot and coriander soup carrot and coriander soup lovely perfect simple classic veggie light perfect excellent main course are you going to do a fish and a meat or are you going to do just a main course I think they've, they've had, had canapes, canapes. I think they now have, have soup probably I had think, bread with that yeah i think straight straight to the main Don't i agree fish course yeah. um yeah what do you what would you what are you thinking for the main course uh i think for the main course uh i think we should probably have a vegetarian option i think you're right um, but I think for the meat option, I am going to suggest uh, your when that time your dad made reindeer because <gasps> that just looked amazing, and oh. that's the only time as a vegetarian I've ever seen meat and gone, God, that looks incredible. Do you know what I love that I reindeer? Just think it's a talking piece. Is a is an interesting yeah, it's a talking piece, and it's very, quite like venison, yeah. but actually not that expensive either. So it's kind of like different and exotic, but also. You, not that ponce. It was with like a, like a black currant sauce. You made or a black like currant sauce. You're right. Yeah, yeah, it was like a yeah, it was like a thick kind of uh, sweet black currant mm-hmm. um, like reduction. Yeah, that was lovely. Really, really lovely. Um, yeah, potatoes. What kind of potatoes are you going to go for? Um, oh, or, or carb. Hasselback. Hasselback potatoes. Hasselback potatoes. How do you have them? What are they? You know, they're the ones where it's like. You've got like a, they're like roast potatoes, sort of, but they've got like a little, slits little great slits in them. Yes. Oh, like Americans um, having you melt butter on the top. Yeah. And they're lovely. That's oh, yeah. Inside potato. texture of like a uh, mashed potato. Yes. Outside right, like crispy. a roasted new. That's exactly it. They're yeah. great. That's such yeah. a good shout. I wouldn't even thought of those. Yeah. Okay. Um, vegetarian option. Would you keep the Hasselback potatoes and have some like greens with it? Like asparagus? Well, I think you have greens with, with, with the meat cause, well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think all the, all the, but do, but would you, what do you for the have? vegetarian option, do you just replace the reindeer is, is what I'm saying? Yeah, I think so. For ease. So like a, 
uh, just a something that would go like what about a um nut roast wellington yeah because that's yeah. a bit more exciting were you thinking about doing that for christmas uh no so for christmas i'm doing i am doing a vegetarian wellington but it's not going to be nut roast it's going to it's using like um the beyond meat burgers actually that you use oh, them and, as the meat could do it that way could do it that way you could do it that way um i i know i quite like i quite like uh yeah some kind of vegetarian wellington maybe like chestnuts like oh, I love chestnuts. chestnuts like a chestnut apricot and goat's cheese type wellington something can we like have that. that for dinner tonight yeah that's what i want Some, right now something like that i think would work um yeah and it would also go with the hasselback potatoes and some nice green veg uh asparagus i love asparagus i'm yeah it's also really easy yeah tender stem broccoli is nice tender stem broccoli is a lovely one yeah kale kale i love actually yeah yeah um i did do you know what do you remember what i made um last year when we uh were having dinner at our friends and i made like this broccoli and kale thing with a little bit of parmesan cheese on top yeah and everyone said it was very nice maybe we could do that that was lovely yeah great um okay so what about dessert yeah so right yeah so they've gone to the veranda yeah they're yeah. having a, a range of poison yeah. of their choice or you know <laughs> i'm looking at our, our real balcony in our real flat now, imagining and imagining all of those eight people yeah. out on that balcony. it's also it's, i mean it's actually it's quite a big balcony but it's not big enough for all of those eight to be there comfortably certainly not distanced tom waits has picked up a parlor guitar and mm-hmm. has uh, got a singer hanging out yeah. the corner of his mouth and is doing a number i say not distance we couldn't even it's more than six people isn't it so we couldn't do this until after you know july anyway well it's fine yeah. they they all would have had their vaccine because that's the problem not that some of them are from <laughs> two thousand years ago no the problem is that the covid guidelines <laughs> couldn't happen my imagine be like sorry guys yeah. i've got asthma <laughs> So I'm high shielding. risk. Yeah. I'm shielding. It's been a nightmare. I can't work either. No support. AOC, we're going to do about that. Yeah. 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 It would um, be a whole whole new discussion. Dessert. 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 Now, I... I think I have to say a tiramisu, just to make you happy. Oh, David, you're yeah. saying that because it's my favourite dessert. Yeah. I love tiramisu. Yeah. And I love... I love even... I love a really, really good... Uh, authentic tiramisu, yeah, tiramisu. Like where it's like Italian love yeah but I also even quite like the little supermarket tiramisu because it still tastes like tiramisu yeah. it's like having a tiramisu yeah. lollipop as you like it yeah. still tastes like it it's good I love tiramisu but I think we should get a really authentic um traditional Italian one the difference is and this is something my mum my, my was talking to me about actually uh to do with Italian cooking the difference between like authentic Italian desserts is that in Italy they'll never use cream; they'll always use just ricotta, and they strain the ricotta to make it more like the consistency of cream. I and never knew that. That's the diff- That's where you get the difference of flavour there. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's like a yeah ricotta cream cheese. Yeah, but I should just imagine a fairly young one. Yeah, I love that. And also the Strega yeah. is always really nice, rather than just amaretto. Yeah, in there. Although. When it's in a cake, I can have it, but I won't have it outside of that. No, not allowed. Not allowed. But yeah, I think that would be really, really lovely. Yeah. Um. What if there's a vegan? What if Mary Magdalene's gone vegan? Um. Oh, the avocado chocolate mousse I made. Avocado chocolate mousse. That was was amazing. Don't know this, folks. Chocolate powder, avocado, and a bit of agave. Mix it together in a blender. You've got chocolate mousse. Sets within like two hours. Brilliant. 
so good because it's the natural fat within the avocado that serves as the replacement of the dairy. Brilliant. That, that's that, yeah. that's nailed that. Really nice. Oh, no, yeah, and a nice bottle of red or white wine or something with the main course. Plenty of mineral water, sparkling, uh, an option as well. And then we've got the entertainment. And I think that... It, is it rude to invite people I, around sorry, for a dinner party? I, just on the drinks front, um, I really want to get more people into sparkling red wine because I discovered it a few oh, years yeah. ago and I'm obsessed. I just think it's absolutely beautiful. So I would have uh, make sure there was a bottle of sparkling red wine there. Very nice. I'm just, I'm just trying to get that over. And again, nice to have a little talking point. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. You know, and something I, new. I think a sparkling red would go well with reindeer, actually. That kind of game. I don't see why it wouldn't, yeah. especially if it was a nice summer's evening. Exactly. A little bit of, you know, moisture in the air. Nice, yeah. ooh, cool sparkling red wine. Lovely. Yeah. Great. Perfect. So yes, entertainment. Entertainment. Do you think it's rude to invite uh, eight famous people round, some yeah. of which are entertainers, and then ask them to entertain. Yes, I do. So you can't, we can't yeah. use them. If I, Tom Waits decides if, to pick up a guitar. Exactly, which I think probably happens goes towards to the piano. it. Well, this, this, we're going to come on to that at the end. Okay. Um, but we're not going to get Stuart Lee to do five minutes. No. You know, no, no, we can't do that. No, no, no. I agree. So, what do you think about entertainment? So I've got an idea. <laughs> okay. You're going to laugh. John Boutet. Oh my goodness. Okay. John Boutet, the the kind of fairly well-known New Orleans singer that you yeah. and I only know about because of watching Trevé. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think that he has got the perfect voice for like a background dinner party. Oh my goodness. That's a really good point. People mm-hmm. could still chat over the canapes. Yeah. Not, not taking everything away, he's an amazing singer. Oh, beautiful But singer. he's just so, he's very smooth and he's relatively quiet in his performance. And I just think he's yeah. someone that would just be lovely to have there. You can listen to if you want and you will, because a couple of those songs he'll hit and they'll be lovely. Yeah. Like when he does his Sam Cooke stuff. and it's Oh, amazing. you're definitely going to go for that. But also, yeah, lots of, and also quite a range of music because he is a genuine, you know, yeah working music he's not like oh let's do no. I'll only sing the greatest hits all, he's going to have a huge range of all, songs um, all joking aside get up your Spotify or iTunes and uh, uh, search John Boutet that's B-O-U-T-T-E um, and let's check him out because he's really really good beautiful beautiful, beautiful singer voice. yeah yeah that's a really really good shout um, I also think quite in- encapsulates quite a lot of America which is always mm-hmm. good for the American guests we've got there mm-hmm. as well um I think Stuart Lee probably already knows who he is and yeah, says, 100%. I liked your work best when you worked with that bassist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Tom Waits will say, oh yeah, I introduced him to that bassist. Yeah. So they'll have probably yeah. a bit of bit of chatter yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, really nice. I think that's, I can't really top that. No? Did you um, have any ideas? Well, my idea for entertainment wasn't so much entertainment mm-hmm. as it was like a, something that everyone could do together. Oh, like a game? Yeah. Oh, great. So... Actually, this works quite well because it means yeah. that there's not too much. So there's a game that um, that my family play at Christmas time called Call My Bluff, which was famous on television yeah, a few years ago. It's loosely what Would I Lie To is based yeah. on, right? Um, so everyone... Alan Corran. Uh... Say again? Alan Corran. Victoria Corran's dad. Oh, he was yes. the regular the, sort of panellist. Panellist. Um, yeah, really good 
where everyone takes like a word or um or if you do the word light version a story yeah um and like two of them are true and one of them's a lie or two of them are a lie and one of them are true um in fact that's a better way to do it two yeah. of them lies and one of them are true Such and everyone goes round home from school because you're ill thing to watch absolutely yeah, yeah. it was before yeah. i was waiting for diagnosis murder to come on absolutely that clarinet i associate with having a mild cold yeah that i'm pretending is slightly worse than it is <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I think that would be really fun because I'd lo- I think like yeah, Stuart Lee would be very good at it. Uh, I think Ash Lacar would be hilarious doing that. Yeah, I think AOC yeah. would love it and probably never heard of it or done it before. Yeah, yeah. Same with like Tom Waits, I think it'd be very believable. I think James Baldwin would probably get annoyed and say actually that truth is something that shouldn't be messed with. But I don't uh, know. Let's 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 see. I genuinely think Vince is winning that. I I think you might be right. You couldn't tell if he was lying, could you? No. He lies so much exactly. to people who love and trust exactly. him. <laughs> On a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. That would be really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, but also, I love the fact that he wouldn't say truth or a lie. He'd say, that's kayfabe or that's a shoot. <laughs> yeah, he would. Exactly. <laughs> He'd say he that's would. a work. That's he a shoot. Would. He would. That's, I think that's everything. I, th- I, I think it's going to be a great party. And I want to tell you about what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. At Go the on. end of this party. What's going to happen, David? By the end of this party... Thinking about what I said earlier on, I've just worked it out. Mary Magdalene the Musical. <gasps> Music by Tom Waits. Lyrics by James Baldwin. Book by Stuart Lee. Directed by Anthony Nato. Produced by Vince McMahon. And starring Ash Sarkar and AOC. Incredible. Yeah. Where does James Baldwin fit in? He, he was the lyricist. He was the lyricist, of course. Of course. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, now I know he's not left out. Yeah. This is incredible. Yeah. And, it, and that's that's what's created at the end of our dinner party, I think. That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> it's Phenomenal. Gonna, it's going to be a hit. It's going to be, be bigger than six. I mean, my problem is, obviously, AC and Ashaka aren't actors. Um, but They'd be great in it, though. interesting, yeah. They'd be great. They'd be very interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. On that note. On that note. I there we go. That, we had that's a great our answer. Time. I hope you're happy, Lara. Yeah. This, this was great. Loved I thoroughly it. enjoyed this one. I kind of almost feel like we, we, it happened. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've had a really mind. walking yeah. home from the park talking about how nice how, it was. How the, how the party mm. went, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that is uh, our dinner party. Let us know what you think, of course. And um, next week, we will be back in familiar bad film territory because Steve has asked us to watch The Meg which is a Jason Statham <sighs> film about a shark. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've so, heard about this. Yeah, so have I. The Megalodon. Um, yeah. So that'll okay. be fun. Um, and then I think we've got Cop Rock, and then I think we've got to watch The Room. So for the next few weeks, <laughs> we've, got a lot, we've got a lot of bad film and TV. So <laughs> that should be good fun, uh, which we know you all love us doing the most. Yes. And you always yes. go, oh, bore off with your intellectual nonsense. Politics. Yeah. yeah. Tell us how crap that shot was. Yeah. That's what you want. So you'll be getting it. Um, <laughs> and in the meantime, you know how to get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter at Macabre Podcaster. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, fb.me forward slash podcaster macabre. You can drop us an email podcastermacabre at gmail.com and of course please do like share and subscribe on itunes spotify google play or wherever you get your podcasts from 
In the meantime, I have been Callum Hughes. I've been David Shopland. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Have you heard it's in the stars? Next July we collide with Mars. Well, did you ever? What a swell party, a swell party, a swell elegant, elegant party. Listen.